Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 15. We're going through the book of Revelation together on Sunday mornings. And uh, if you'll open your Bibles there to chapter 15, it's an exciting time at FBCO. And uh, uh, next month, we'll have a, a new young adult pastor coming, if you have a call. We're really excited about that. I love the YA, what we call the YA ministry. Uh, if you don't know, you can find out more information about that group that meets on Thursday nights and, of course, the life groups they have and here on Sunday mornings as well. And God's just doing a good work there, and I love that. And I also wanted to give you an update on our new building. It's, uh, we're calling it the South Gym, and the South Gym is um, it's moving along kind of rapidly. It's really making good progress. We th- we're tentatively planning a, a dedication service on October the 15th. That's how close we're getting to it. And man, it's exciting. Some of you know we're building that without adding any additional debt for which we're um, grateful. And um, it's happened because a lot of people give and we're thankful for all the giving. Can I just say a word about giving? So we, we think the right way to do it, the biblical way to do it is to tithe, give your tenth to the budget of the church. It matches the storehouse um, of the Old Testament, the, the budget of the church. It's the means by which we do our missions and ministries as a church. We do what God calls us to do. And so many of you, and I'm going to thank many of you I know who give faithfully, who tithe, who give your tenth to the church budget. And if you don't, we'd love for you to consider that. God wants to be Lord of our treasure just as he is of our time and talents and everything else in life too. And I commend it to you. Technically speaking, we don't give to the church. We give to God through the church. That's, That's the right way for you to look at it, I think. And then we give as God provides. We give above and beyond that to things like a building program or just special things that God puts into our life. So it's an exciting time, and we're glad for you to share it. Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 15, and as we go through this book of the Bible, and uh, it's, a, it's an amazing story unfolding before us of what God is going to do at the end of time. Let's read, let me read that whole chapter, just eight verses. We'll read that whole chapter together. The Bible says, Then I saw another great an awe-inspiring sign in heaven, seven angels with the seven last plagues, for with them God's wrath will be completed. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had won the victory over the beast, its image, and the number of its name, were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the heavenly temple, the tabernacle of testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, dressed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes wrapped around their chests. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were were completed. So let's talk this morning on the subject, those who win. And maybe you say, boy, that's not, I mean, this doesn't feel like a, this doesn't feel like a great win I mean, victory doesn't seem to be the, at the forefront of how I think about the book of Revelation, perhaps, or even that chapter, but I want you to see that it is, that God is promising victory for us, that we can have victory in the Lord, and 
I want you to note two principles with me. And if you're not a note taker normally, maybe you'd take these notes. You can write it on the back of the worship guide or in the app. And I want to encourage you to follow along because the Lord talks about those who win specifically in this passage. And that can be you. So principle number one, note that victory can be yours despite the challenges. Victory can be yours despite the challenges. And maybe you've got some challenges in life. Maybe you've got some financial difficulties right now in life. Or maybe you have some physical problems you're going through. Or maybe you're struggling emotionally. Or maybe you've got some broken relationships. And you say, man, i got some challenges. And how can I talk about victory when I have challenges? And then you come to a chapter like chapter 15 and you see the challenges of these. Can I just note who these people are that are going to sing praise to the Lord? These are those who have gone through the great tribulation time. If you've been here these last weeks, I mean, great is the right word to put before tribulation. Not great in the sense of like happy, but terrible tribulation. Great in that sense. And they've gone through that. Many of them martyrs for their faith. Many of them who came to the Lord in this time, of, they missed the rapture. They come to the Lord, those who survived that uh, terrible time, and, and they face great, great problems. Many of them dying for their faith. And yet the Bible talks about victory. In fact, two areas of victory. You could note two specific areas of victory here. First, victory over judgment. Verse 1 says, Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Boy, that's like a perk you up in the morning sort of a phrase there, huh? How about that? Plagues. This is in the Bible. And then the Bible says, For with them God's wrath will be completed. God's wrath. And if you hear last week, we talked about how this concept in the Bible of God's wrath, plagues, responsibilities, God's uh, justice and judgment. Boy, that, that is an unpopular subject for many. But we were reminded that God by his nature is love and, not or, but and holy. That is, God is love and God is holy. Not God is one or the other. Many generations have emphasized only one or the other. So they say God is love or another generation, God is holy. But the Bible says God is love and God is holy. That is who he is. And so if we're going to know what the Bible teaches about God, we have to see the whole counsel of God. And the whole counsel of God tells us about the whole nature of God. And God is love, yes. And God is holy, yes. Always and forever. And so the same Bible that tells us about the grace and mercy that God offers, and we'll talk about that in a moment, that same Bible also reminds us of God's wrath and the plagues that will come at the end of time and the great tribulation and the judgment that is, that is surely ours apart from Christ and how little we deserve uh, the grace that God gives. By the way, why, why would it be good news if we already deserve God's, God's forgiveness? It's no big deal. Sin no, doesn't matter. It's good news because we do not deserve God's grace, God's mercy. We are under, rightly under judgment apart from Christ. If you have never trusted Christ as Savior, you are separated. I'm under obligation, if I'm going to be obedient to the Lord to tell you this, you are separated from, from God by your sins and headed toward eternity without God in hell, and that judgment will be yours. But the Lord offers victory over judgment. Boy, this is good news. If, it's, if you don't realize how bad the bad news is, you'll miss how good the good news is. And that God offers victory over judgment because God is love and God is holy. And we were reminded when we took communion just a few minutes ago 
of the price that was paid for that victory. And that Jesus died in our place, his body broken for my sins, and his blood shed to pay the penalty for mine. The reason I can have victory over judgment is because Jesus took my judgment. Jesus took my sin. And Jesus died in my place. When I talk about God's judgment, I want to even be, I even want to remind you that God is patient in his judgment. God's judgment is real. This is what is going to happen at the end of time. And we'll see more of that as the end times unfold. But God is patient in his judgment. He apparently cared about you so deeply that more than 1,900 years ago, he gave this warning to the Apostle John to give to us about events that have not even yet transpired, that will transpire someday. And he does that so that we can learn the truth and benefit from that because God is patient in his judgment. He told 1,900 years ago, before you were ever born, before we could ever have imagined anything, the Lord gave this revelation that judgment would come. It hasn't even come yet. It's going to come at the end of time. After the rapture, after the tri- in the tribulation, this time is coming. And the Lord is patient in his judgment. Now, I know something about victory over judgment because I know something of the pages of the Bible because of what God says in his word. But I also know it because of a nine-year-old boy who sat in a worship service like you're sitting in southern Illinois and who heard the message of the gospel and came under conviction of sin. And that nine-year-old boy had never murdered anyone at that point. By the way, he still hasn't. He still hasn't. My life's not over yet, but I'm just saying I haven't yet. But as a nine-year-old boy, it's not that the Lord convicted me of sin because I had done what we think of as the, the big sins. I was nine years old. But I knew I was a sinner, and that my sin was as sinful as any sin in all the world, that my need for a Savior was as great as anyone who has ever lived, that my separation from God was real, and that apart from Christ, judgment was certain. But I knew that gospel message, that Christ died for me on that cross. And I gave my life to Christ. I asked him to save me that night, and Christ saved a little nine-year-old boy And some of you are here who have never trusted Christ as Savior. You're not sure you've ever given your life to Christ. And maybe you've said, I'll I'll be good enough, but you can't be good enough to reach perfection. God is holy. And you've already sinned. How could you be good enough to reach perfection? Or you said, I'll try to be religious. The Sadducees and Pharisees were religious, but the Lord is asking for something more than the outside. God wants you and wants a relationship with you. And when we pray later in our service, I'm going to ask you to give your life to Christ, to Turn from yourself and your sin and give your life to Christ. Place your trust in him just as I did as a nine-year-old boy. Wherever you are at whatever stage of life, I want to ask you today to find victory over judgment. And the Bible says because of the blood of Jesus, the holy one, the sinless one who, who knew no sin, he died in our place for our sins. And if we will trust him, Christ will save us and give us victory over judgment. But secondly, notice he'll give us victory over the enemy. When I say we can have victory over our challenges... It's not just judgment, but over the enemy. And maybe you read the book of Revelation 
and you say, oh my goodness, this is scary stuff. The tribulation, uh, the Antichrist, this mark of the beast. If you hear last week, we talked about the mark of the beast. This is sort of scary stuff. How can we have victory over the enemy? Because the enemy is powerful. But notice what verse 2 says. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had won the victory, note that, those who had won the victory over the beast, that's the Antichrist, its image, the uh, idolatry, and the number of its name, that 666 that we saw last week, were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. They had victory. They were playing harps before God. Now these are the ones who have missed the rapture, who are standing uh, in the great tribulation, many of them dying for the faith, but they find victory over the enemy. And victory over the beast, the Bible says. Because God, now listen, the, the, the Bible tells us the truth about the enemy, his power and his strength and his ability, and it's greater than ours, but it's not greater than our Lord's. And he promises victory. Even these in the great tribulation can find, one day they will find victory, those who know him as Savior. I am not a scary movie guy. Some of you like scary movies. I've never understood that. I'm still really traumatized by uh, The Wizard of Oz and those flying monkeys. I've just never been a big scary movie fan. Uh, but my wife and I saw a semi, not, not the whatever scary movie you're thinking of. It wasn't that, but it was a scary movie for us. And we saw it one time. And because I'd seen it before, we watched it again. And it wasn't as scary because I knew the ending. Now, there are a couple moments I'd forgotten about, and I jumped a time or two, but I, but I knew what was going to happen. Now, when we see the pages of the Bible, and especially the book of Revelation, and a chapter like this, it's scary until we remember the ending. I've read to the end of the book. I know what God is going to, what he's going to do and the promises that he's made. And he promises we can have victory over the enemy. And you can have victory despite the challenges of your life. My young grandson is uh, just super competitive for whatever reason, and he loves to win and hates to lose. And he um, was at our house playing air hockey with me. We've got an old used air hockey uh, set that someone had given us some years ago, and, and we hardly ever play it. But he, he loves to play it, but he wants to win. And when I had, and my kids, when they were young, I would, like, I would beat them because I felt like they needed to learn, you know, some of the lessons of life, need to learn to have defeat and all those things. And and, uh, but when you're a grandparent, you just say, oh, okay, you want to win? You know, no problem. You want money? You know, here's my wallet. You, candy before the meal? Nope. Have added? Great. So I just let him win. And he'll we'll get that air hockey going, and, and he'll just hit it real solid. He'll just smash it in, and he loves it. It's so great. And I think sometimes we think, man, just my power and ability, I'll be fine. I'll be just so, I can handle it. And the enemy is so much stronger than that, so much more powerful. But then we see our victory comes because of the Lord and not because of us. It's not because of our talent and ability, but because of our reliance upon the Lord. So you can have victory over your past. Any of you here with a mm, troubled past? Any of you grew up with a dysfunctional family? Or maybe some real baggage in your own past? You can have victory over your hurts. Any of you come here with hurts and wounds? The Bible tells us the Lord is the great healer. And in this broken world that tends to bring some scars with it, he's the one who could provide healing from our hurts. Some of you have some problems that you brought to this place, and you're not sure how to deal with them. But the Lord is bigger than your problems. 
or your own sinfulness and your brokenness, the Lord can give you victory despite those challenges. And this day, I want you to find that victory. And for the future, I want you to find that victory. And for eternity, I want you to find that victory because victory can be yours despite the challenges. Note a second principle with me, please. Your victory leads to genuine worship. And this passage, as often happens in the book of Revelation, points us to worship. And we see a song. We see people singing a song. It is those who have come out of the great tribulation, who have found victory over the beast, those who have trusted Christ as Savior, And they're singing, verse 3 says, the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. So they're singing the song of the law. Moses is the one who gave us the law. The Lord, of course, gave us the law through Moses. The song of the law and the song of the Lamb. The Lamb is the Lord Jesus. We see him often in the book of Revelation, sometimes described as the Lamb who was slain. We saw him even in the last chapter described as the Lamb. The law reminds us of God's mercy. If nothing else, the law points out that we cannot keep God's standards. None of us can. We all break the law. We're all guilty, and we need God's mercy. The lamb reminds us of God's grace. Jesus gives us forgiveness by his blood, and both the law and the lamb, both mercy and grace, lead us to worship. The law points us to the exodus. It reminds us of the people in bondage and how God brought them out of bondage to the promised land. How we can be taken from the bondage of sin and make no mistake about it. Sin is always leading to bondage. The enemy always wants to keep you in bondage no matter how many times he promises you freedom. And the Exodus reminds us of the bondage of sin and how we can find the promised land of God's love and mercy and grace. The cross is the promise from the Lamb that Jesus died in our place. He atoned for our sins. And They're singing, these in the great tribulation who come to know him as Savior, many of them martyrs of the faith, they're singing the song of the law and the song of the Lamb. They're singing about God's mercy, how they don't deserve God's love, but he gives it. He withholds from them the bad they deserve. They're singing the flip side of God's love, grace, the Lamb who reminds us that God gives us the good things that we could never merit or deserve, and both lead us to worship. So I want us to note three words that really help us to understand more about genuine worship that are important for us as we worship and that we uh, find from this text, all right? So three words I'd like you to write down. The first is the word thankfulness, thankfulness. So verse three tells us some of the words of the song. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Notice the Bible here these Christians in the future will focus on the works of the Lord, on his ways and on his works. That is, they are thankful for what the Lord has done. The works he has done, the ways he has provided, they're thankful for that. So I want to ask you, where, like, where do you stand on the thankfulness, on the thankfulness spectrum? Where do you remember all the Lord has done? Are you thankful? Are you, do you sort of take it for granted as though God owes you? This is, man, what, I mean, beautiful weather. It was in the 60s this morning, early when I was on my way here, in the 60s. If you just moved here, if like you moved here this morning, you just moved here and you arrived here this morning, you would say, 
Illinois has spectacular weather. I mean, what an amazing, it's just cool and pleasant. But if you had moved here on Thursday or Friday, perhaps, you might have said something different. You might have said, that is a really, this is a really, really hot place. This is a very unpleasant place to live. And perhaps, perhaps some of you did what you haven't done in a long time. You sort of remembered that we have this invention called air conditioning. And it's a good invention. It's a helpful one. I'm glad for that. If you really like, I mean, if you really want to go back to the good old days, great. Turn off your air conditioning when it's 104 in this you know, high humidity and see how that suits you for a while. But if, like most, you had some air conditioning, you might have more thankfulness. Some years ago, there was a girl in our church, a young woman in our church. Her, I think her dad was in the military. She came with her family to the military. and She was a young adult. And she, um, she became, uh, uh, she worked with the IMB, the International Mission Board, as a journeyman, which is a two- or three-year program where you serve in some international country as a missionary for that two- or three-year time. And so this young lady from our church um, served with the International Mission Board in the journeyman program, and she went to West Africa. And we went on a mission trip there to West Africa while she was there. I, I went on that mission trip. And it was um, a, a country called Burkina Faso. And it was a really hot, it was in the summertime, super hot. Uh, the weather forecast just, I saw as we were getting there, every day it said 109, 109, 109. I mean, just hot. And she had a place in a city that had uh, better amenities. But she would spend weeks at a time in this hut far out from the cities in a place where very few knew Christ as Savior. And that's where we went. And I stayed in a tent, in a tent, 109 degrees. And when I got back, let me tell you, I was very thankful for air conditioning. I did not take it for granted any longer. And I thought about this young lady from our church. She's from right here. From a, This is you know, the outer suburbs of St. Louis. And so she knew something about the nice things that we have in our country and the nice things that you have in this region. And I wonder if she ever thought when she was out far away in this little hut, they'd built a mud hut with a thatched roof for her to stay in. And I wondered, man, I wonder if she took for granted when she came back. I wonder if I wonder if she took air conditioning for granted. And I thought, how many things have I just forgotten? I've never been thankful, Lord, for. As though somehow God owed something to me. As though God, I deserve something from God. And thankfulness, man, is an important part of worship. We're thanking God for what he's done. So I want to ask you to count your blessings. And some of you say, wait a second, this is, I'm in hard times. So were these coming from the great tribulation. But the difficulties of life can accentuate the blessings that God has provided. And they were thankful. They did not take God's works and God's ways for granted. And if you're going through a difficult time, all the more reason to be thankful. God, what you have done for me, I don't want to miss. In the middle of these difficulties and the problems and the challenges I'm facing, I want to be thankful. There's a second word I want you to write down. Please write down the word praise. 
Notice verse 3 says, great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God. Notice that title. The Almighty, that title. Just and true are your ways. King of the nations, that title of God. Verse 4, Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. This is just really a song of praise in many ways to God. They're noting the character of God. They're thankful for who God is. Now, thankfulness is thanking God for what he has done. But there's a sense in which praise is thanking God for who he is, not just what he's done. Not just thank you for giving me these things, God. I just thank you for being you. I thank you for who you are. I note that you are great. I note that you are the Lord. I note that you are almighty. I note that you are the king of nations. I note that I should fear and glorify your name. I note that you are holy. God, I want to thank you for who you are. And there is a power to praise. And you'll notice when we sing songs together, when we gather and worship, and there's a power to our corporate worship, we ought to worship the Lord in private. And that's a great and good thing to do. But we can also worship God corporately. And the Lord, of course, calls us to that. And there is something about it that is special. And when we gather in corporate worship, we thank the Lord for what he has done for us, but we also thank the Lord for who he is. And many of our worship songs thank the Lord for what he's done, uh, salvation the Lord offers, all the work of Christ on the cross. But we, you will also note that many of our songs are songs of praise and that we just focus on the character of God. As many of the psalms, the songs of the Old Testament do, we praise the Lord. And so there's some songs that just move my heart so much in praise. I don't know I've talked to Mark and others about this. I don't know why I like the music that I like exactly. I mean, I'm sure it's a, part of it's my just background and circumstances in life and that sort of thing. But there's just some songs, for whatever reason, some arrangements of notes that I like better than other arrangements of notes. And you have that too. And I don't care what your favorite preferences are. I just, I, look, I care about you, but I don't, I don't care about your preferences. I mean, we're just all different. We all have some different history and stuff. And, I, and great. I mean, I know a little bit about music. Not a lot. I, my mom was here in the first service, and I, she, had, she made me take piano lessons, and um, I had to apologize again publicly that I'm not a concert pianist. I just wanted to apologize to my mom that I didn't apply myself better to those piano lessons. But I don't know why I like some songs, but I just tell you, there's some songs I know exactly. I don't know why I like the music, but I know why I like the song because there's songs that are thanking God. And there are songs that are praising God. And there's something about thanking the Lord for who he is. I just tell you, that can get deep in your heart. When you're serious about worship, it can get deep in your heart. And you just remember who the Lord is. And I'm telling you, these folks coming out of the great tribulation, who had known in many cases martyrdom for their faith, did not take for granted what the Lord had done or who the Lord was. They did not take that for granted. There's a third word I want you to write down. And that's the word presence. Presence. Because this is really personal with these who are coming out of the great tribulation. Notice verse 3 says, Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. It's personal. They're talking about the presence of God. 
in the next chapter, or next verses rather, in, that, in the same chapter, they're talking about the tabernacle or the temple. The tabernacle, the tent, the temple, the more established uh, uh, dwelling place of God. And the temple, the tabernacle, represented to all of the Old Testament, to all the Israelites, the very presence of God. We're reminded in the New Testament that our bodies become the temple of God. God in salvation dwells in you, in you, his presence. So here's what I want you to get. Don't, don't miss this. In worship, you get personal with God. In worship, you get personal with God. It's not just theoretical, historical. Like I, I know a lot about Ulysses S. Grant. I've read several books on Ulysses S. Grant. I just finished his um, autobiography. I don't know Ulysses S. Grant. We never had him over for dinner. He never invited me into his uh, tent when he was planning Civil War moves. I don't know any. I mean, I've never met him. I just know about him. But God is saying, I don't want you just to know about me. I want you to, I want you to know me. And in worship, you get personal with God. We're not just singing about God, though some songs are about his nature, character, or works. But we're singing to God. He is the audience of our worship. By the way, you're not the audience of our worship. He is the audience. of You're the participant. You're the worshiper. He is the audience of our worship. In worship, you get personal with God. Now, don't miss this. You only got half of it. In worship, you get personal with God. And in worship, God gets personal with you. In worship, God gets personal with you. And we are reminded that we matter before God. That these men and women... Who had missed the tribulation? Who had missed the uh, rapture? Who had gone through all the terrible parts of the tribulation? Who had found Christ a savior? Who had somehow recognized they were sinners who needed a savior and responded? Who, in many cases, were persecuted? In every case, persecuted, and in many cases, martyred for their faith. They mattered to God, and you matter to God. I don't know fully why. But I know that I matter to him. God cares about me. And I, don't, I sure don't know fully why. But I know that you matter to God. And that it's personal with God. It's not theoretical with God. It's personal with God. In worship, you get personal with God. And in worship, God gets personal with you. And God in heaven, the Lord Jesus himself, says you can have victory in Christ. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Some of you are here and you know you need to get saved. Just as I did as a nine-year-old boy, you're not sure you've ever trusted Christ as Savior. I want, you to, I want to ask you to give your life to Christ to, this morning and get, get this right before God. Turn from yourself from sin. Place your trust in Christ. Ask him to save you. You could pray a prayer like this. Saying words you don't mean won't change anything. But if you mean it from your heart, you could pray a prayer like this. God, I have sinned against you. My sin separates me from you. I know that. You're convicting me of that. But I know you died for me on that cross and you rose from the grave for me. And so I ask you to save me. I ask you to save me. I give my life to you. If you mean that, Christ will save you. He'll save you. Christian, maybe you're struggling with one of these things. Problems and your past, addictions and struggles and you've sort of forgotten 
the victory the Lord gives over judgment ultimately, but also even over the enemy, that the Lord is powerful, that he can give you victory in this life and victory eternal. Maybe he's reminded you of genuine worship. Lord, I want to be thankful. I forgot. I've taken things for granted. I want to praise you for who you are. I want to, I want to recognize your presence in worship. That you, that in worship, I'm getting personal with you, but you get personal with me. And I want to take that for granted. And Father, I want to thank you for this great chapter of the Bible that teaches us these things that we need to know and learn and apply and practice. Father, would you draw people to yourself, those who need to be saved, maybe even some who just today trusted you as Savior. Lord, would you help them to have the courage to grow in their faith and uh, make that public and follow you and live for you and not waste another minute of their life chasing lesser things. We thank you, Father, for the uh, evidence of your great love, even telling us 1,900 years ago about what's going to transpire at some point in the future because you care about us so much, because you want us to know the truth, because you want us to find your grace, your mercy, and your love. And I pray you'll use this in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.